Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Amen. Good to be with you here this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 90 is where we're going to be. Uh, I typically refer to the Dew Crew as the six, but this morning the Dew Crew is much bigger than that. My father's here, my stepmom, Kathy, and my Aunt Doris, and some siblings and such, so thank you all for being here with us. It's good to see you folks, Southeastern. We love you tremendously, and um, I think of you often. I come to the pulpit this morning uh, as a person who has a deep sense of gratitude and indebtedness to this institution for how it informed us and shaped us in so many different ways. There's a very real sense in which I am who I am today because of Southeastern Seminary. To give you a little bit of, to flesh that out for just a moment, I came to faith between my junior year and senior year in high school. And yes, I went to seminary here and did a PhD here and such and taught here. But it really started for me here at Southeastern far before that. I was a senior in high school. I was called to ministry. I worked at the YMCA because that was really the only job that, I, that would pay me at the time to, to let me even remotely minister to people. So I worked at the YMCA, and there were a bunch of seminary students that worked there. And I would come up, and I would spend the night with some of those guys on Saturday night in what is now Goldston, used to be called Johnson Dorm, and we would go out and we'd preach on Sunday mornings in the nursing homes. And that's where I learned how to preach, in nursing homes. And uh, so that was my senior year in high school, actually, long before I attended here as a student and, um, you know, spent 19 years here. Uh, I'll just say this very quickly, then we'll get to work in Psalm 90. You know, there was a time in my life when it mattered to me very deeply that I become something academically. And the Lord gave me favor there, and I got to pursue the degrees and teach and to do those kinds of things and even have an opportunity to publish and do all those kinds of things. But by the time I left here in 2019 to take up the responsibilities that are now mine at New Orleans, um, that had all changed. And all that really mattered to me from that point forward, from this point forward, is that I give my life to the kingdom and to the Great Commission. And I wanted to be about training up that generation of servants and missionaries and pastors. And if I never publish again, if I never get to do any of those fun things academically, I got to do again, so be it. But I must do that. And that transformation happened because of my time here with you and my time here with faculty. And love you folks and so very, very grateful for you. So thank you for speaking into my life all those years and helping me get ready for what was next. And uh, I think of you often. Psalm 90. A psalm that should humble you. And a psalm that should direct our thought and towards God in a very particular way. So Psalm 90, I'll read the whole psalm. There's 17 verses, but worth reading all of it for sure this morning. Lord, you have been my dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth of the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like sleep. In the morning they are like grass that grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it's cut down and withers. For when we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, we are terrified. 
You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all of our days have passed away in your wrath and we finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow and soon cut off and we will fly away. Who knows the power of your anger as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have compassion on your servants Satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to your children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, with bowed hearts and bowed minds before you this day, we acknowledge that you are king. We acknowledge that you are God, that you are almighty. That are you are so far beyond our comprehension, our ability to grasp. Lord, we also acknowledge your holiness and our sin. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us this day to live and to function with wise hearts and minds. Give us, Lord, the ability to see that which is truly good and that which is waste. Give us the ability to see that which is sin and destructive and will never satisfy and that which will satisfy us. God, teach us to live our lives with the end in sight and to give ourselves fully and completely to that work. Lord, I pray for this administration and this faculty that, Lord, you would continue to keep your blessings upon them and that you'd use them, guiding their steps and their minds at every step of the way drawing them further and further closer to you, and at the same time in strengthening and increasing their capacities for kingdom work. And Lord, for this generation of students, God, would you raise up from this campus yet one more generation of people that will go to the nations. Would you raise up, God, from this campus yet one more generation of pastors and church leaders and ministers of the gospel that will go into the darkness and the chaos and the confusion of our world and preach Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus, in light of who you are to live our lives accordingly. So, Father, bless us, we pray. Help me now as I preach. Help me to give me clarity and by your spirit and by your word, do that which only you can do. Minister to hearts and make your people strong. We love you. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean to live your life, Coram Deo, before the face of God? 
That should be the question that we would want to know. Because our life and our rhythms are such that we will get busy, we will become occupied, we will have passions, we'll have things that we want to give ourselves to. Simply put, it's easy to go through life, even the called, even the faithful. It is easy for us to go through life without giving our attention to the things or to the one that we should give our attention to. It's easy to live your life that way and to get caught up in that and yet lose sight of the fact that everything we do and all of our work and all of our actions and all of our words and all of the postures of our heart are ultimately before God himself. Psalm 90 is a psalm, a prayer of Moses. We don't know the exact or immediate context of this psalm. But it's a psalm that many scholars think is happening sometime around the exile when things are tough and Moses is stressed and like many psalms, just crying out to God. In this psalm, we see a couple important parts of the structure. Simply put, I'd say it this way. The first part of the psalm, verse number 1, really through about verse number 11, it's designed to humble us. It reminds us that God sees, it reminds us of who God is, it reminds us of who we are, and the first part of the psalm is designed to humble us. The second part of the psalm is intended to teach us how to live now. So this morning, just very simply and straightforwardly as I know how to do it, let me break it into these two big parts. Let me show you three things to remember from the first part of the psalm, and then three things to pray from the back end of the psalm. So, three things to remember from the first part of the psalm. Remember, number one, remember that God is before all and God is over all. Or another way that we could say that is simply to say, remember that God himself is almighty. Notice what the psalmist starts with in verse number one. Really, verse number one through verse number two. The psalmist here, presumably Moses, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. In other words, what Moses is insinuating here is that God has always been there from before to the after. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the one that has been there throughout all generations. And while you and I may change and while our lives may change and our physical places may change, God himself does not. God is there before all generations, and he goes on to say in verse number two, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. In other words, what Moses wants us to see here is that God is himself before everything else, and God is himself over everything else. And he's telling us this to humble us. It's a reminder to us of what's significant what is big, what is supreme, and what is not. You know, I grew up here in many ways. I've been in the Raleigh area really since I was about eight years old. My dad, my mom and my dad split up when I was a little kid, and dad moved here to Raleigh, and I began coming to the Raleigh-Durham area when I was a little boy. When I was 17, I moved to this area, and so I worked on the streets of Raleigh. He had a bunch of real estate, and I worked as a plumber and uh, helper and all these different things. I drove all over this city all the time. This week, I've had the opportunity with my dad to drive around Raleigh to various things. And here's what I've noticed. This place has changed tremendously. I mean, the restaurants are different. 
The buildings are different. There are places that used to exist that have been flattened and leveled and new skyscrapers have popped up. And it seems that anywhere we go, everything has fundamentally changed. And that's the way our lives and our rhythms are. It's a reminder to us of how temporal we are, which we will see in just a moment. But what the psalmist is showing us is that there's one thing that does not change. There's one thing that has always been, and that is God himself. And there's a reminder to us here simply of this, that God is himself the one that is before all and over all. So notice this first of all with me in verse number one through verse number two. There's a reminder that God is before all and over all. There's a reminder number two in verse number three down through verse number six and then again in verse number ten. There's a reminder not only that God is before all and over all, but there's a reminder that we are temporal and that our lives will pass very quickly. Listen, I I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know how long you're going to live. But what I do know is it is a flash in the pan. And look at what the psalmist says. You turn man to destruction, the one who is from everlasting. You turn man to destruction. You say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when they're past. They're so temporal. Like a watch in the night, you carry them away like a flood. They are like sleep. In other words, how quickly sleep passes. You go to sleep and the next thing you know, you're awake. That's what sleep is like. And that is what our lives are like. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and it grows up. And in the evening, it is cut down and it withers. This is a reminder of other passages of Scripture. James chapter 4, verse number 14. Here's your life. This is what it says. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The point here is simply this. You don't know how long you have, and however long it is, it's not much in contrast to a God that was before all and over all, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, the one that does not change. This is who he is, and here's who I am. A temporal little life that will pass very, very quickly. Isaiah 40, verse number 6 through 8, quoted by 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. Listen to this. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass, and the grass withers, and the flower falls away. Hey, let me assure you about one thing. Your life will not just end, hear me, your life will be forgotten. I said to the Timothy scholars this morning, listen, I'm not trying to be Johnny Raincloud here, but here's the reality. It doesn't matter how popular you become. It doesn't matter how big your following may become. The reality of it is this world, when you are gone, is going to move on, eat potato salad, and then forget that you are here. That's the reality. Your great-great-grandchildren won't know your name. So why then would you live your life jockeying and striving and positioning for fame and for stardom and for recognition when it is but a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. That's your life. The psalmist wants us to remember this. Remember who he is. Remember how frail and temporal we are. And then thirdly, verse number 7 through 9, remember your sin. And more importantly, remember that God himself, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, sees and knows your sin. Verse number 7, listen to this. For we have been consumed by your anger, 
By your wrath we are terrified. Listen to verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you. Listen to this. Our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years with a sigh. Meaning it has been turmoil and difficulty and God has seen it all. Remember who God is. Remember how frail and quick your life is. And remember also just how sinful you are. Look, we're, we're seminary people, right? I mean, we've lived our lives in a seminary context. You've come to school to train for ministry in some capacity. Surely not you. And yet, those of us who lived our lives in contexts like this can say, yes, surely us too. The fact is, sin can creep into your life just as easy as anybody else's. The fact is, patterns of sin can become normalized in our lives just as easy as anybody else's. In fact, maybe easier because of the weight of our responsibility and the reluctancy that we have of letting anybody know that our hands are dirty, we will hide, conceal, and suppress things in our lives. Sin patterns can come into our lives just as much as anybody else, and just as much as anybody else, they destroy, they eat, and they corrode, and they corrupt. And yet the psalm tells us that God has set our iniquities before himself, our secret sins in the light of his countenance. Hebrews chapter 4 reminds us there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must all give an account. And so the first part of the psalm is intended to humble us. Remember who God is, Almighty Remember how quick and frail our lives on this earth are. And remember our sins. And now that we wrap our heads around those realities, because they are realities, right? This is who God is, the Almighty. And my life, even if it should be 70 or 80 years or something by strength, as the text says, it's actually nothing. You and I are here for a hot minute, and that's it. And while we're here, we get dirty. We wrap our heads around those realities as we live our lives before God. And now with those things remembered, three things to pray. Three things to remember and three things to pray. Verse number 11. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. In light of those realities, pray these three things from the psalm. Pray, number one, for the wisdom to live your life with the end in mind. Pray for the wisdom to live your life with the end in mind. Listen to what it says in verse number 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's the implication. By living life with the end in mind, numbering our days, that this is a heart consumed by wisdom. That is to say, if I have this wisdom to see the end, I'll live my life in a certain way. I'm to go about today's work and tomorrow's work and this week's work and next week's work and this year's work. And any moment that God would give me, I'm to go about all of these things and all of these moments with the end in sight. Teach me to number our days. The fact of the matter of it is, you and I do have a finite number of days on this earth. For some of us, it will be longer. 
For some of us, it will be shorter, but the reality of it is every last one of us has a finite number of days. And here's what's interesting about it. When a person lives focused on the end, it changes how they live in their present. I noticed this a whole bunch of times throughout my life in ministry. I remember this past year in baseball, knowing that it was my oldest son's very last season ever to get to really play baseball every single practice and every single game. When we'd walk into those games, I would say to him, buddy, it's time to be aggressive. It's time to leave nothing out there. It's time to put it all there right now in this moment to go. And I got to tell you, he swung the bat harder than he'd ever swung the bat. He threw the ball harder than he'd ever thrown the ball. He ran faster than he had ever run. Why? Because he knew it was his last time. There's something about knowing the end being in sight that changes the way that we live. I've seen it not just in my sons with baseball. Listen, I saw it as a pastor. As a pastor, I pastored, as Dr. Aiken mentioned, Stony Hill Baptist Church. When I got there in the year 2004, there were about 70 or 80 people in that church, most of them blue hair, senior citizen folks, sweet folks. They were in that church, and over those next eight and a half years, I probably did about 60 funerals. That's not an exaggeration. I did a lot of funerals. And here's what I found I was around death a lot. I was with people when they died, I was with people in their closing days, I was with people towards the end. Here's what I noticed about dying people. Dying people didn't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about trivial things. They no longer wanted to talk about Alabama football. Praise God. Because I didn't want to hear it. They no longer wanted to talk about TV shows. They no longer wanted to talk about money. You know what dying people wanted to talk about? They wanted to talk about their children. They wanted to talk about their spouse. They wanted to talk to the pastor about making sure that I would follow up with their son who doesn't know the Lord. Please make sure that you go share the gospel with them. There's something about closing in on final days that changes priorities in current days. And what the psalmist is telling us to do is to number our days. To teach us, Lord, to number our days. And so I'd say to you, pray for the wisdom to live your life with the end in sight. I'm a weird duck. I've always been a weird duck. But I say to people, people think I'm being morbid. I think about my death every single day. I think about my death every single day, not in terms of how will it happen and will I be struggling for breath or something like that. I think about it more in terms of those four kids right there. I think about it in terms of the school and the people that I've been entrusted to lead and to shepherd. I think about it in terms of the impact that I can make. I think about it in terms of the kingdom that's coming. What the psalmist is teaching us to pray in light of the fact that God is almighty, that we are frail and quick, and that we're sinful, what the psalmist is teaching us to do here is to think about the end. And so I just want to ask you, what about the end? What about the end? And how are you living your life right now towards that end? Let me ask you this question. For the kingdom, for the kingdom, what are you going to look back on one day and regret not doing? For the kingdom, what are you going to look back on one day and regret not doing? And my dear friends, however you answer that question, go do that. Teach us, Lord. To number our days. Pray for the wisdom to live with the end in sight.
Pray number two. Pray that the Lord would satisfy you with himself. Pray that the Lord would satisfy you with himself. Because, my dear friends, there's really nothing else that can satisfy you. The power, the money, the fame, the opportunity, the sex, whatever it is that you're tempted to make an idol out of and chase and to seek and to pursue, it is a phantom. It is a false God. Listen to what the psalmist teaches us to pray here. Verse number 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Listen to verse 14. And satisfy us early. With what? Opportunity? No. With wealth? No. With power? No. Satisfy us early. In other words, give me the ability to let this happen in my life before it's too late, before most of life has been squandered. But satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all the days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Essentially what the psalmist is praying here is that God himself would be his satisfaction and that the psalmist could find that. My friends, that's an important word for us because here's the unintended rhythms of our lives. Ministry lives and quite frankly, if I'm shooting straight with you, Baptist lives. We are in a moment, I said this to the Timothy scholars this morning, when we celebrate popularity and stardom, platforms, stages, lights, brands, and all of those types of things. And it will be a carrot dangled before you that you will seek, that you will crave, that you'll build your life towards. You may accomplish it, and it will not satisfy you. We seek all of these things, the platforms and the stage and the stardom, and none of them have the ability to satisfy your soul. You may gain it all and have nothing. Jesus said it this way, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Don't we remember the satisfaction that each of us found in the Lord himself when we found the Lord himself? Can't you remember who you were in that moment when you came to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you remember how broken, how sorrowful, how shameful you felt in those hours and in those moments leading up to coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you remember the sense of hopelessness that was yours that consumed you before you knew Jesus Christ. And now, don't you also remember the joy unspeakable that you found when you found Jesus Christ himself? The Apostle Paul said it this way. Though I may have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. In other words, you think you're a big deal? Let me tell you what a big deal I was. And he goes on to list out his credentials, and then he says this, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, I have counted them lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I have also counted the loss of all things for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, fecal matter, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. 
In other words, what Paul is saying is, I found in Jesus Christ something far better than anything this world can offer me. Psalm 16, verse 11 says it this way, You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. My dear friends, don't ever forget what your first love is. And pray that you live with the end in sight and pray that the Lord God himself will be your satisfaction. Because if he's not your satisfaction, my friend, you don't have much. Pray one more thing. We'll be all done. Pray for the wisdom to live with the end in sight. Pray that the Lord himself will satisfy you with himself. And pray thirdly that God's favor will be on the work of your hands. Verse 14 through verse number 16. Listen to this. Oh, satisfy us with your mercies that we may rejoice and be glad. Verse 15, make us glad according to the days in which you've afflicted us, the years in which we've seen evil. And verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to your children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In other words, God... Would you help me now to do it in your power and in your strength and for your kingdom? Would you guide my steps and guide my mind to help me see that which is most important? Would you help me to see the way to do it, to be most effective? God, would you give me a power by your spirit? Because my friends, if God's power and his spirit's not upon you, again, you have nothing. I said to the Timothy scholars this morning, the longer I do this, especially in my current role, I'm more and more convinced that there is no effective ministry that we do that does not come from the overflow of our hearts. In other words, if you get up there and all you got is a dinky little outline and you've read some commentaries, my friend, you're not set. In almost anything that you do, the power of our ministry comes from the Spirit of God in us and through us and the overflow of our own life. And when we minister from the overflow, there is an, a power on us, a spiritual power upon us that the world cannot understand. Here's what Jesus said. Acts chapter 1, you know the passage. Verse number 8, you know the passage. Here's what Jesus says. You will receive power when... Now notice what he doesn't say next. He does not say, when you finish your education... Look, I've given my whole life to theological education. I'm a president of a seminary. Of course I believe in theological education. You absolutely must get as much as you can possibly get. It's deeply valuable. We sit in the seats we're in. We can do the things that God's called us to do precisely because we did receive the training in the work that we did. So get every bit of it you can get, but at the same time know that Jesus did not say you'll receive power when you finish your MDiv. He didn't. He didn't say you'll receive power when you get a bunch of experience. He did not say you'll receive power when you get a title or a position. He said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what he said. He also said, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. That's what the Bible actually says. Therefore, in the psalm, Psalm 90, the prayer we pray is, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands. In other words, God, if you don't help me do this, it can't be done. 
Psalm 27 says it this way, verse 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In other words, unless God is with us, friends, we don't have anything. And yet the reality of it is most of us will go through our ministries doing major, major parts of our work that we do for God without invoking the presence of God in our work, without, without asking God to help us. Here's our problem. Our problem is that we're gifted. You're gifted. You're talented. You're experienced. And therefore, when the problems arise... When wisdom is needed, you revert to your own gifts, your own talents, your own abilities, and you operate within that. And praise God you're gifted. Praise God you're talented. Praise God you're experienced. But why in the world is our first reaction when the chips are down to draw on ourselves instead of seeking the Lord? So here's what the psalmist is doing. First part of the psalm, it's meant to humble us. Hey, man, remember you're not God. Remember God is God. Remember, in fact, that you're frail and you're quick on this earth. You won't be here very long. And remember the fact that your hands are dirty. And therefore, in light of those realities, pray that God will give you the wisdom to live your life with the end in mind. Pray that God would satisfy you with himself. Because if he doesn't, you'll chase every idol under the sun, even in ministry. And pray that the Lord God himself will use you in a profound way. That God would establish the work of our hands. And my friends, if that's our posture, and if that's our prayer, it ain't ever going to be perfect. But God's hand of blessing will be upon us and he'll use us. Father, we love you and we are grateful for your kindness to us. I thank you for my friends and my family here at Southeastern. Their faithfulness to me across the years their faithfulness to these students even now. And I pray, Lord, yet again that you would call forth missionaries, pastors, counselors, worship leaders, and such from this blessed school. Lord, use us, we pray. We acknowledge you as our God and as our King. And we pray that you'd establish us in this work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.